Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are. The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello there, my beautiful red women. Those of us who are here weaving the threads of divine feminine leadership in a modern day era and what it really looks like to walk as an awakened woman on this planet. I am so excited today. I have with me a dear, dear sister who lives in the south of France, or not the south of France, the west of France, is it? I can't even remember. The middle southwest. Middle southwest, there you go, located. And um, Colette is someone that I met I don't know, in time, it was a couple of years ago now, right in the height of COVID, we went on a pilgrimage together to the Magdalene Sacred Sites. And um, we literally fell in sister love with each other. And since then, I've been trying to get back to France to see you, Colette, but, but COVID has played all kinds of havoc with us. Um, so I am bringing you to her this morning because we were having a fascinating conversation about female archetypes, goddesses, and we were starting to talk about the connection between Aphrodite and Artemis. And then, of course, Magdalene always gets in the mix, doesn't she? Um, but I really wanted to invite you on today, darling, so that we could talk about this kind of this split that many of us feel between our wildness and our artifice, our you know primal nature and the, the idea of who we're meant to be as women, especially as we age. And um, one, of the th- <laughs> one of the things I was thinking about, I was speaking to a sister of mine yesterday who's just about turned 60. And we were laughing about, you know, just how our bodies have changed and what the curveball is that we're being sent as women as we go through menopause, as we go through these shifts and changes in our bodies. So, hi, Colette. Hi. (laughs) Yes, big, big topics and something that I've been really kind of grappling with within my own groups with women. And, you know, there's no definitive answer, is there, when we're talking about the archetypes that live within us and especially the polarity archetypes that, that kind of, for me, definitely push and pull me from one place to the other. And that's what me and you were speaking about. We were speaking about the Aphrodite archetype that we both hold. She's very alluring and she wants to look great and she has kind of a magnetic pull and she has maybe, you know, attention she doesn't always want. I mean, it can gravitate a lot of attention, And there's this kind of place where you have to feel like you have to live up. She is the epitome of the (laughs) anti-aging agenda. (laughs) 
And then you've got like, you know, me and you, we, we love our wildness. I, I We love our Artemis, who's got the bow and arrow in the woods with the dogs, the feral hair, the wildness, you know, haven't seen people for days. And that's a really difficult polarity to swing to, which I do. And I know that you do too. So I think it's really worth talking about. And I'm sure women will identify with other archetypes as we, as we you know, discuss this. I love it. And I love that polarity. And for me, you know, and I know that you, um, Colette is also steeped in Jungian studies and is, and is deep in that world. And it's, that's my lineage too. And so a lot of what we're talking about in this work really is at the heart of alchemy. And I just want to say that up front, which is like polarities that we experience inside of ourselves. So we could call them, you know, really constellations of energy, but one manifests as the Artemis wild woman, unbrushed hair, hasn't shaved her legs, isn't tending to her body in that way, has let herself go feral and is really in connection with uh, the natural world and her more, could we say, solar feminine, like that feminine that is more empowered in her body as not a object to look at but as a as a tool as a expression of her energy right and then find you know Aphrodite who I think has been given a really bad rap and that's why because I think we have a bit of an Aphrodite complex going on in our world that actually is not really who she is I think Aphrodite has gotten taken through the patriarchal lens and really twisted and kind of made into this character, this stereotype of a woman that actually is not something that most of us aspire to be, but it's a patterning that we're given. And what I'd love to do, Colette, is chat a little bit about who Aphrodite actually is, because, you know, in terms of like what she's become in our culture and what is it that she actually really holds? Because I think you said something really powerful about this magnetic attraction field. Yeah that is much more pure to who her energy is, but then how she gets manifested. So maybe let's chat about who is Aphrodite seen as? How do we recognize an Aphrodite woman? Yeah, I mean, she is, she's Venus. She's, she's the, I mean, I think we've all recognized if, if I try to give like a description of, we might have seen that woman that walks down the street. And, and I don't believe this is anything to do with being really, really beautiful either. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. But there's something about that woman that you look at as she walks down the street and, and she's usually got other people around her and the other women maybe or men maybe nonetheless more beautiful than her. But she is just giving something out. There is something that you can't help but look at her, look at the way she's walking. Maybe jealousy might overtake you thinking, wow, like she's incredible. And, and you feel her energy. It's kind of like all encompassing. It's eluding from her body in a way that she's maybe not even conscious of. And she is kind of emitting this, come to me, you are curious about me, you like me, you hate me, you love me, you you think I'm the most beautiful thing. You're having this conversation in your head, well, you're not that beautiful, but you are beautiful. And it strikes up this kind of inner conversation in us about this person. Now, if you think about the average person that you walk by, you, you might give a look at, and, and not even give another consideration to it. But the Aphrodite energy makes you look, it makes you stare, it makes you want to have a conversation with yourself about that person. And it's that word, isn't it? It's that word alluring. It's the word magnetizing. There is something that makes you want to look at her 
and have that conversation with yourself. And I think you you are spot on when you talk about how she's kind of taken over in our collective. So, for example, I only seen something today that was so symbolic about what we are to speak about. And it was about Kim Kardashian and the Kardashians. Now, Kim Kardashian has the Aphrodite. She has something we are alone, magnetism, beauty, all of those things. But I seen what has happened with that is that her allure, her Aphrodite has had swarms of women trying to copy that and be that. And of course, you can't copy Aphrodite energy because it's an energy. It's not really about the way we look. And we were seeing, I seen this thing today saying she's had all her butt implants removed and she's had all the breasts removed and then, ha- and I was like, whoa, what's that going to do to the collective? Because these women have been trying to embody the energy of Aphrodite through looks. And yeah. that's not how we get Aphrodite. That's not how we, we embody Aphrodite. It's not just the visual. And I think that's what, you know, eludes people in feeling what is Aphrodite. It's not about good looks. It's about that allure. And so... This made me think, you know, so what if the butt plants, implants go and the breast implants go? What are we left with? How can we be enchanting, alluring, magnetic without even considering how we look? What is that in us? Oh, I love it. I love it. So I'm just going to say to that because this is that thing, right? I was saying about as we age and we live in this, of course, any of you are women who are aging alongside me, we know like there is a tremendous, tremendous pull to augment and change how we look and to to despise or to be be really confronted by the wrinkles and the lack of collagen and the sack, you know, all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing because, I mean, I was laughing the other day, you know, and and you'll know this joke, but it's like... um, the last few years I've had to wear glasses. And then when I take my glasses off, I look great. Because <laughs> I can't see myself anymore, right? <laughs> the thing is, is that, you know, that's Mother Nature's little gift to us, right? Because as you get older, you go into soft focus, you can't see, you're not as concerned with the outside appearance. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't still love to dress up and to place um, beauty and adoration and, and adore all the stuff. But like you said, Colette, Aphrodite energy is not a facsimile. Like we can't copy it. (laughs) You can put all the trappings on and still have zero magnetic attraction going on the body because actually the beauty that we're talking about from Aphrodite could best be understood from my lensing as an illumination, as a radiance that's coming from within of a, a certain way in which we inhabit ourselves. She inhabits us. And this is the truth of all the archetypes. There's the visual representation of them, but truly an archetypal energy is an energy. It's a frequency that inhabits. And we don't become the archetype, but we embody it, right? We become a vessel to receive it, to play with it, to express through it, to learn from it, to be initiated through it, right? So what is... Let's let's just talk about it. How do we cultivate Aphrodite energy? Do you think that's what yeah. I want? 
right? Yeah, and the difficulty here, isn't it, if we pretend that we've got it and we kind of dress up, put our false lashes on, put the filter on our screen and all of those things, which is shadow Aphrodite energy that we're seeing in the collective, what we're actually doing is we're embodying a persona. We're just putting a persona out there and that's a false face. So the question is vital is what does what does it what are those qualities that are so magnetizing what is the illumination inside and I don't think like you know I can't give a prescription for that and neither can you or we'd be very very wealthy and very well known but what we can do is sell is set that question in and I think that's an experiential question for me after I, I'd worked with a group of Jungians about this, because we were saying how it was affecting society at the moment. And for me, it's about sitting with that. Well, what is magnetism? What actually really pulls people? And now we're crossing into the middle, aren't we? Into the alchemy of Magdalene. Yeah. What was her magnetism? Because as we laughed about Harry Mary in the cave as she got hairy, was not pulling in people because of the way she looked quite the reverse in fact she was pulling in people who listened to her preaching who listened to her gospel because she was magnetizing something and in her case it was knowledge it was wisdom it was love it was compassion it was mercy so for me I've sat there and thought okay if I want to be magnetic what actually do I want to be my magnet Mm. What are those qualities that I want to, you know, if I'm going to be sexual, I'm going to pull in sex towards me. And I'm 47, I'm over that. So, so I'm like, what do I, what do I want? I mean, there was a time I used my Aphrodite energy for that. And you're probably well aware of that, that we could switch that on and it came to us, but they're not the things I'm after anymore. So if I'm, what am I after? What do I want? I want, you know, I want simplicity. I want quality of depth of intimacy and connection. So these are some of the things that I want to, to magnetize in. And of course, I need to have that in, internally. So how do I create that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's about asking us what, you know, if we could look at the picture of Venus and, and what is her that is so magnetized in that picture, you know, for, for years and years has drawn people in to, to see and look at images of her in classical art. So what are those qualities? And, and that I think is up for personal exploration for us to personally sit with what do I want to illuminate and what do I want to draw in? Yeah. And, and when you're speaking into that, it's like, for me, that's the, um, the maturation, right? The growing up around this archetype, because the, what we speak about in the culture of how Af- the Aphroditic energy is seen, you know, it's, it's co-opted and it's, it's commodified and it's being used yes. to things and make a lot of money because, because it's so magnetic and so desirable, we want it. Right. But what happens when we look hate the desire within us and really ask the question of what what are we wanting to use that magic for like what do we really want to create and manifest through our magnetic field through our attractive field like what are we seeking to actually illuminate in self and in another in the world like what is worthy of that attention and what are our true desires 
And I think that that's the piece that's so fascinating to me is that it actually, um, I think all the archetypes have this, they have like a developmental growth period within us where we, you know, where we, like like when we're kids, we play dress up, right? We, we play dress up because that's the way that we start to come to know who we are. Yeah, yeah. And as we age, and one of the things that fascinates me, Colette, is as we get older, and I'm, I'm turning 55 this year and I'm like, that's a substantial freaking age. <laughs> a little bit, it's very substantial. <laughs> like, like 55, that like, bloody hell, how did I get there? That's one thought. And then the other thought is, it's like, well, but there's a real settling into the decision of like, how will I consciously work with these energies now? Not 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 to try to get the ego's gratification of what she thinks she needs, but the deeper level of what we're really being called to as we continue our individuation process, right? And yeah, I love that. I would love to weave in um, Miss Artemis over there because she's an entirely different character. And I think probably to many of us, lesser known than the African, like in the yeah. culture, we don't tend to adore and adulate the Artemis women right and there's a reason for that so let's chat about who who is Artemis how do we recognize an Artemis woman so so like synchronistic that we're speaking about Artemis tonight on a full moon because Artemis is the goddess of the moon and the hunt and she is she is she's like the polarity of of uh, Aphrodite because she isn't really bothered about what she looks like she has a fierce competition inside of her and it's not concerned about men she doesn't care she's the kind of woman that's quite happy being on her own in the woods she is the hunter so you know that can correlate to you know she only hunts for what she needs she's never driven by money or by you know having to kill all the deers in the wood because she doesn't need them all she only needs what she gathered what she can gather to survive because her life is full with other things, in fact, things that are deeply connected to nature, the, you know, the hunt and the survival of life. And she is really uh, likes to be around other women. You know, she has other women around her. They are a pack. Mm. So she is the woman, you know, we that we all see that. I mean, in the shadow of that, this is the women who hide in the woods, never come out. They have dreadlocks in their hair. They have they grow a big mustache, and they they they, they just <laughs> they don't care, and they they kind of keep themselves away from society. Now, I'm talking about the way I've aged as well. And Aphrodite was very much, you know, a complex and a, an archetype that that I embodied in my younger years, and it brought me many things that I needed and wanted. And now that I've got older, I'm finding myself in the Artemis uh, archetype. And it's something I really need to be careful of because I could quite easily slip away off the face of the earth and live in the hut and just be at peace with nature and, and all of those things. So, you know, that that is something I think as the collective moves and, and the world gets a little bit crazier out there, as we're seeing we can see, can't we, there's a shift in society. People are starting to say, oh, I want a plot of land and I just want to go live in the woods and, and collect herbs. And, and you know, it's a beautiful idea. But in reality, our society can't just function in that way. 
So yeah, it's it's that move, and I think we are seeing it in our collective more to be the hunter gatherer, to not be consumed by you know we've had all this shift with AI and all the cosmetics that are like part of the anti aging agenda, which is so detrimental for the aging feminine and for and for matriarchy. That the Artemis, I think if we start to really look at the women out there who are going, I don't need a man. Like, I'm going to just do this for myself. I can survive on my own. I can look after myself. I don't need riches. Richness comes for me for being connected to the land. You know, she's kind of like the druid. Mm-hmm. Which so, is been really studying right I know that yeah yeah I mean my bardic year is a druid so that that has pulled me deeper into that place but you know how useful to society are we if we're going to go into the hermitage and not really function but of course Artemis on a high functioning level has got a harem of women and she is working with women excuse me and they are working together to try to be integrative within that kind of hermitage life how can that how can that fund and fuel and help society yeah yeah I think it's really interesting because it's you know on a on a purely you know if we go to the 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 dress up level of it right you've got the Aphrodite on one side in all of her glamour outfits and glamour by the way is been something that's been completely taken and denigrated. Glamour is one of the feminine arts and is not here to be judged and shamed. And we were talking more about that in some upcoming episodes here. <clears throat> so I just want to say that word has gotten a really bad rap. And glamour is actually to do with that internal light, that illumination, right? And then on the other side, so you've got Missy over here in her ball gown and whatever she's mm-hmm. wearing, beautiful, alluring. And then you've got this one over here who could basically be naked in the woods and doesn't really give a damn about what she looks like the balance point to me is so fascinating because I've played with these archetypes my entire life because I have that I don't really care part of me which is like you know I often don't have shaved legs I often don't shave my legs. here you go everybody now you know yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even get dressed <laughs> yeah I don't have to I don't get dressed and I love that mm-hmm. like I'm just me I'm not adorned I'm not taking care of anything that would care about the external appearance I'm just in my feral nature doing what my animal body wants to be doing moving around the space right but there's this there's this power that lives in that place for me where it's nothing to do with the external gaze right because okay. it's a lot to do with who's looking not even who's looking to get the validation, but just is this working for this magnetic attra- attraction? It's all those likes on your posts on Instagram, darling. That's Aphrodite energy. It's like it's looking for, and in its in its um, immaturity, it thinks that that's what it wants, right? So Artemis is to me is the revolutionary. <laughs> like she's a bit radical, and I think part of us that wants to fight free for our right to express our feminine nature in ways that have not been deemed feminine. And that I'd love to talk about because I think we have an idea and I, I'm really still exploring this for myself, right? What is now nature? What is feminine energy in all of its different faces? So maybe we could chat a bit about this, you know, like if one is magnetic, 
then what is the like how could we describe that more deeply yeah I mean for me you know I I am the she is the let me try to put this in non like detailed young terms that can be really hard to fathom out but I'm an animus driven woman and that means I have a lot of male energy it's at the forefront of my my psyche my being and that is the same very much so for Artemis she is very driven by that are that the masculine energy by the competition, by the hunt, by the survival. Mm. And we always seem to deem, uh, you know, feminine energy as soft and passive. And, and of course, the anima inside of us is. But when we're talking about, you know, whatever body we're in, and, and that's why I love this because it crosses over any identification, how we want to identify ourselves is I have feminine and masculine energy in me and how does that play out? And I think the Artemis is very much rooted in her masculine energy. She doesn't need anybody. She's self-sufficient. She knows that she can survive. She knows she loves competition and not against other women. She just loves the drive of competition. She likes to be successful. She has this deep drive in her. And that might be to hunt three days. It might be to be the next Olympian. It could be to be the best speaker out there. She just has that within her to say, like, I am a successful woman in whatever I choose to put my mind to. And I will be wholly competitive about that. Yeah. And that's another thing, right? We've been taught. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting pieces here that, that I'm still really looking at with the women that I work with and in the circles that I, you know, I get to be privileged enough to be part of. And that is this, um, all of these places where we've been taught that, that this is not, this is the bad feminine, right? This is not who you're meant to be, you know, competition, um, lustful, sexy, dark, mysterious, uh, boundaried, you know, like, you you know, like saying no, being in your power, all of these things we've been told subliminally through the Judeo-Christian religion, right? That this is not, this is sinful and bad. In fact, the seven deadly sins, I was just looking at them the other day and I was like, wow, who encoded are those seven deadly sins against the body and against really the rooted, rooted experience of being a human? Yes, yeah, yeah. Drives that we have for success, for freedom, for expression, for pleasure, all of that is inherent in the feminine, both Aphrodite and Artemis for me. So I love what you just said. And I and I'd love everyone who's listening just to feel how many of you have either felt embarrassed or ashamed of your competitive nature and had to hide it, right? Because I'm also, I always joke with my, with my beloved and I'm like, I'm the most A-type priestess you ever <laughs> Cut from the same cloth, right? And neither should we be. And our jobs and our purposes are all very different. But I think it, it for us to feel for a moment together, like how have you either been shamed or blamed or humiliated or somehow felt like, oh God, I can't show that part of myself that's competitive or wants to be successful or is driven, right? How many of you have not even contacted that part of yourself? Don't think that you even have that part of yourself, which by the way, for both Colette and I doesn't really exist because from our worldview, we are all of it. And until we put all the nooks and crannies, we can't really be fully individuated or awakened or however you want to frame 
that journey. Yeah. Um, because I know, and I'd love to hear from you, I know that when I was young, like when I was a kid, I was an athlete, right? I was the athletic type. <clears throat> and I was also a thespian. So I was both. I was a thespian and an athlete. And at some point I made a decision to go toward the thespian because in my education system, I couldn't be both. There wasn't room to do both. But as an athlete, I was intense about my competition. I mean, I was like fiery. I wanted to win at all costs, right? And I was, the message I received around that was that that wasn't ladylike, that that wasn't okay. Now, this is the 1970s in England, so, you know. Let's put that placement around it. I'm curious what you felt when you grew up around this part of you that was competitive and you know what I mean? Yeah, I had an inner competition. I was very different to other people, like where they wanted to play hockey. And I didn't have, I I didn't get a buzz out of that at all, like to be in competition with another person. Although I absolutely think it's a wonderful to create competition you know like we see it as when I was a school teacher used to see people say when they when they didn't win oh it doesn't matter it's not about winning no it is about winning you know of course it's about winning and you lost and how does that feel to lose You, you know because I think the inner competition which was in me I wanted I remember making a jewelry box at school we got asked to make a jewelry box and all the girls are making these fine and I wanted to make, get this, a fried egg jewelry box. I still do not know to this day why I wanted to make a fried egg, but I did. And the teacher was like, you can't make a fried egg jewelry box because it's not going to look as good as all the other jewelry boxes. So I had this huge thing go on inside where I'm going, it is going to be bloody good. And I'm going to, and it wasn't to compare it with those other women. I just was like, I don't care what they make. I'm going to make the fiercest and the best chucky egg jewelry box. And how did it go out? And, it, and I did, and I absolutely loved it. The yoke opened and it was amazing. I loved it. But I had this fierce inner competition for me. I was like, I want to do good at this. I want to do, and, and, and I think we're brought up differently. And I think both are beautiful, whether we are competitive and say, well, I want to win. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that against another person. I think it's a primal human instinct that we deny a lot. I want to be better than you. I want to do this better than you. I want to beat you at football. Why do we have so many competitive sports? Because it's allowing us to do that. And I think it's a travesty that we say to children, oh, you can, you can wait, you, you don't need, I see it with little kids, oh, you don't need to um, win, it's okay. Or, or faking the child winning. Like, no, there's nothing like gloss. There's nothing like struggle. Competition keeps us thriving. It keeps us going. It keeps us wanting to win. And I think that in a woman is a really strong quality. It's the Artemis energy when she's out with that bow and arrow under the moon they say on a full moon you can go out and you'll see the light illuminating the the animals in the forest that artemis would see and she has she is in in that moment and i want you to all to feel it where it all comes in where we have a life or death situation if i don't shoot that deer i'm not going to eat and i'm not going to survive and that's that primordial competitive nature that we as women all have where is it in us 
where's it gone? And that's not to, out, you know, I think it's going to, I'm going to be more beautiful or I'm going to be more wealthy. But what else is there? What else can we compete with each other for in a really healthy, light way and not in a shadow way? Because I think that's what it all starts to boil down to for me. Aphrodite has shadow and light. Artemis has shadow and light. Competition has shadow and light. Glamour has shadow and light. Nothing escapes from shadow and light. And that's the consciousness we need to bring to everything. I have competition in me. It's a primordial nature. So is sex. You know, all these things that you've just said, the seven deadly sins, they're primordial human instincts that have been repressed. Where is it in me? And where is it in shadow? And where is it in light? And how can I utilize that light more? That's right. That's right. Beautifully said. And, And for me, when I hear you saying that, Colette, and I'm wondering for everyone who's listening, um, really, I've been in a deep study around power for myself, because part of the transition that I'm in, menopausally speaking, (laughs) is I'm in a rite of passage around my power. That's what's happening for me. Um, And and it happens, I think it's an archetypal rite of passage where excuse me, you know, as women, we start to shift identities. We start to shift energetics, literally in our bodies, right? So for all of you who are in this together, we're in a deep and potent re-empowerment, I want to say, like like a, a different relationship to what power is. And as I hear you speaking, the power that we have is to understand everything has light and shadow to it. Nothing is inherently bad. You know, that's the that's the Judeo-Christian overlay, patriarchal overlay that we've been given is, is this is good, this is bad. And as women, especially with a lot of reclamation work to do for ourselves around being able to inhabit these spaces, which are not seen as being inherently OK for women to be. You know, like if you're that kind of woman, then there's a judgment against you. So for me, this piece that you've just spoken about around, you know, like what is it that gives you an edge to push against because I believe in that edge like that struggle or that discomfort or that tension point that's where we grow that's where the evolution happens and I was just thinking about the other day and I wrote a post about it you know we had all this snow here and I lived down the bottom of a hill like 800 feet down a hill right and it's a steep hill yeah you know and I got I had to get out to try and find, right, not a deer to eat, but I needed needed the internet to work, right? I needed, I had appointments, I had classes to teach. I was like, I need to freaking find some power and internet because I have nothing at my house. And I I went anyway, driving, driving, trying to get out of here and everything was blocked because of trees down and the roads were covered in black ice. And at one point I realized that I had put on my outfit to teach, which was a velvet dress, right? So I'm in my outfit, velvet dress on, and my snow boots. And I drive up the hill and there's a U-Haul truck with a trailer and there's two big guys. They're trying to push this freaking U-Haul truck. So I jump out my car, because that's who I am, with the velvet dress on. I'm like, can I give you a hand? So we're all pushing this freaking belt, you know, freaking U-Haul truck up off the road. So it's not blocking the road. And 20 minutes later, we've managed to do it. We're huffing and puffing and slipping and sliding and laughing our asses off. Meanwhile, I'm in my velvet dress. And there's that moment where I'm like, but for me, 
my Artemis loved that. Like that's so enlivening because what it was about was, yes, it was about survival. Now, maybe not, I'm not going to eat or I don't have a roof over my head, but it was like that instinct and allowing her to express herself and to meet the masculine with my strength and be like, I I can do that. I I, I can help you. I can be of service in that way too. My body works. Was so, there was something about it that gives you that, ability to meet the challenge and I think yeah. that that's what Artemis gives yeah. us yeah because yeah, we these challenges that we face in our lives it's like Artemis has a structural element to her she's she's got strength she has core yeah 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 right and it's like I know that you moved into the countryside a few years back and I know that yeah. that's probably a lot to do with this Artemis energy right like yes. what's boring she's been I mean I think that we've got so many archetypal umbrellas you know and complexes within us that they're all they play out in different parts of our lives don't we and I know I need to kind of find the the balance somewhere between the two like you say I moved to the deep country I'm in the middle of woods and you know I live pretty much off grid and I am and and you know I'm starting to come out of that and realizing that there's shadow in that and where can I balance the two between the Aphrodite that I once embodied but not being stuck. I mean, the, the conversation I had in my Jungian classes the other week was, you know, we see the Aphrodite in the shadow and that's stuck as, as the 60-year-old woman still in the miniskirt and the leopard skin shoes, like scrambling up the hill and holding on to, you know, a fading look. And that can be really painful. And society is doing that. The collective's doing that. We're scrambling, trying to use filters, use cosmetic surgery in all the ways to try to hold on to what is passing. And this should not be the way it is. We shouldn't be grappling with our aging. We shouldn't be grappling coming into Chrome, but the whole you know, conversion of what we've done to Aphrodite and turned her into some kind of like shadow complex now, as well as, you know, uh, something to, to, to aim for. But I think more, mostly shadow at the moment is to a revolt against the feminine and the way that we, we should age and the way we should look, you know, the, the Artemis, if you've seen her under the moonlight pulling back her bow, you would be as awestruck by the Artemis as you would the Aphrodite. The magnetism is just different. The energy, the feeling is different. Maybe you would be like, wow, she's powerful and strong and tribal. And you you would be kind of having a different conversation in your head about that. So you are what we would say in Jungian psychology is where the opposites meet, where the, you know, the, some, some psychologist said to me, oh my God, that's crazy that you have both of them in your psyche. That's a really difficult uh, conjunction. <laughs> and I was like, yes, it is difficult, but if you're making them conscious, it becomes easier. And then if you start to bring them together where they meet, the opposites collide and meet in Jungian philosophy, this is the start of the new. And we know that this is also the what we call the mandala. It's the ancient symbol. It's the Vesica Pisces. It's the yoni. It's the birth canal. So if we put like our Aphrodite, our younger version of ourselves with maybe the Artemis that's growing old and put them together and let the edges meet and then push against each other, what's going to come through? 
that is the beginning of a new complex within your psyche and new energy that you're unaware of, the unconscious archetype that wants to come through and say, I'm going to burst right through you because you have not paid me any attention and I've waited a long time to come through you. <laughs> you know, and what in, really inspires me about your saying in the image, you know, uh, that, that center of the vesica Pisces, you know, where... Yeah. Literally, we like you said, the two opposing, seemingly opposing forces, right? Really, really actually man-made and not opposing at all. They are a circuitry of energy that wants to come together. And when together, they birth something new into being. And that, from that sacred womb space of the yoni, when we are constantly birthing ourselves, right? We're, this is a, we're talking about, essentially a womb psychology or a womb mystery school, right? Where we are consciously birthing ourselves. And by the way, that is the basis of Christianity. Christianity is a womb religion. It believes yeah, yeah, yeah. in rebirth, but it wasn't the original rebirth philosophy, let me tell you. <laughs> but what comes to me is, and I think that this is ideal that it's coming right now, is for me, when Artemis and Aphrodite come together, this really signaled for me personally the arrival of the Magdalene consciousness for me and I would love to talk about that because I I I feel like Magdalene as a consciousness and I'll just say this and I'm super curious to hear what you say really holds this bold wild sassy strength that is just like don't fuck with me and I'm not excuse my French but don't you know don't mess with me I've got the power here and this deep alluring magnetism and connection into feminine magic that is that is there and when those two come together and we integrate that there is something that's born within us the world has been missing for a really really long time so I'll throw the energetic ball your way because I'm oh, thank you that's like rather huge isn't it you know uh, yeah I mean for me it's that all that you've just said with the with the potency of the struggle her story is a struggle. She's not, you know, been born in a, in a castle under a king. And she's the, she was born of a family that rejected her within a religion that she didn't, that she absolutely adored because of the devotion and the connection to God. But the structure of it, she couldn't stand. And she left her family and she traveled and she fell in love with somebody she shouldn't fall in love with. And she traveled and spread a word that nobody believed at the time. And, you know, opposed or that the man you're going to fall in love with is going to be crucified and you're going to be, wow. I mean, we couldn't get a bigger story of struggle. And then we've got this one woman on her own. There's no mummy and no daddy and there's no husband buying it for her or a, a brother doing it. She is on her own. She has found that competition, as we spoke about, within herself and said, right, OK, I've got this in me. I am in the primordial energy of survival and compassion and sexual desire and all of those primordials that we talked about and that drives her through her story with all that you know they say wherever there's power love doesn't exist it's the polarity of love but she brings those two together to create that alchemy that magic that we see and on a on a I think what a lot of us miss because we're all, I'm like you, like it, 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 when we talk about or we come alive and there's this kind of theatre that comes out of us because we, we're so passionate about it. But I think we overlook the simplicity of her as well. 
there is so much refinement in her simplicity. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, you think about the alchemical process. It's so very simple. It's like purification, putrefaction, like it has a very, very simple process. Yet we turn molten metals to gold. And, and, and for me, that's what she is. She, she reminds me, like, keep it simple, bring it back down, bring it to the bare bones. That's where the alchemy begins to happen. And she had to do that many, many times over and over again. You know, her beloved was executed and then she had to bring it back to the bare bones again. What next? And then find that. And I truly believe this, Elaine, that when we are in the utter edge, the difficulty, that's where all that golden energy comes through because we find ourselves in places that push the psyche, push the mental, push the spiritual. And it, and that's I believe that was the vehicle of all of her movement was she got up, she brushed herself off and she was like, let's go again. I am not done. Woo! Yeah. And do you think she cared what age she was? Do you think she cared what clothes she wore? She did not care about those things. It was always about the refinement, refining, refining, refining. Where is love? Where is love? Where is love? Where is my power going to juxtapose my love? Yes. And the explosion of, of that kind of, you know, and I'm quite sure she worked with all the different archetypes within her, the, the, the you know, the, like we know, the prostitute, the vessel, the good girl, the, the lover, the mother, the all of those. She worked with those to create her story and leave such a legacy behind that, you know, we're in 2023 and we have millions of women that are still honouring her and trying to embody her her recipe inside of us. That's right. That's right. And and for me, it's like these archetypes, you know, as you're speaking about it, you know, this, how, well, I want, well, so many things that we could say, but one is, <laughs> well, you know, just for all of us to feel for a moment, you know, this, it, the struggle and the struggle is part of the beauty of our lives. And when we're in it, I know it doesn't feel like that, darlings. I get it. I never go, oh, whoop-de-doo, I'm in permanent struggle. This is just freaking great. Right? That is not where I am. I'm normally like my nose is on the ground and I'm swallowing around going, oh, shit, now I've got it. What have I got to deal with now? This is not working. Something's not working. But that struggle is the place where Magdalene shows us the alchemical journey of basically going through life, which we all do, where we have, we have seasons, this happens and then it all goes away and we recreate and then we recreate and then we recreate, right? That is the refinement journey. And I know I'm going through one of these myself. I've mentioned it at menopause and I want to just bow to all of you going through this because there is no stone being left unturned, whether it's in my business, in my personal relationships, in within myself, there is a sense of, oh, we're done. We're done with this now. We're done with these certain patterns. And the patterns really were part of the mothering archetype. We could say that much. I'm no longer in that archetype in the same way that I was when I was in my 40s. You know, and that's the truth. I'm in a different phase of my life. And as women, 
and men and all beings, we are constantly evolving. And if we're not, that's where you start to see the neurosis and you start to see the symptoms coming up in yourself, whether they're physical, emotional, spiritual, you know that you're at an edge. And that's where we're being called to lean in. And for me, I want to ask you, it's like, where is your power and your wild? And where is your magic and your deep sense of beauty? Not, as you said, in the eye of the beholder, right? Beauty, what does that mean to you? What is wild and what is beauty? Because those two, those two talk to each other all the time. Because there is a way in which that, for me, Beauty is an expression of wildness that has been taken and worked with and transformed and allowed to express itself in the beauty of art and the beauty of a wild garden, right? That those come together within us. I want to take you right there to, you know, a moment every day I go and do my Druidic practice in the woods I've got a sacred grove with a big Douglas tree that sits on a rock face that I have with Mary on and I sat under there this morning and we've been doing lots of work in the garden and I'm thinking there is this moment where there's all these wild ferns and there's all the blackberry running down the face of the the stone and and we need to clear up and I had this moment of where do I clear up here when the wildness is actually so beautiful? You know, you, you look out there and in France and when we you've got as much land as everybody has here, you have to leave it wild. You know what it's like in England. We have these little perfect grass with the little round bushes. We, we fence round everything. We have a border with flowers in, you know, and it's impossible here. And also the French find it very funny that the English come and try to section everything off and make everything really tidy. And this was all going in, on in my mind underneath this tree. And, and it's exactly that, isn't it? There is great power in something being left to be exactly as it wants to be. And all the weeds, all the nettles, the blackberries that I was wanting to take out, I actually just took a minute and said, this is actually really perfect. It's already really perfect. So why, what part of me wants to change all of this? What part, Well, obviously, if there's a part I need to work in, like in our lives, if I want to grow a vegetable patch, I have to move things. You know, so I think that's the refinement. He's saying, where is what's in me wild and beautiful and doesn't need to be contained or made perfect you know how can I live with the lines around my eyes this is wild this is my life this is the way my face is going and where can we just put you know a little bit of mascara on to make it look better or you know I think it comes back to that where we are I said in a, a conference the other week, imagine if we lived in a perfect world and it can be one of them horror movies where everyone comes out the front door and the houses are all white and the grass is all green. They've all got a yellow car and there's five tulips sticking up in the grass. You know, imagine the perfect world. It's so sterile, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and, and the challenges that the, the Douglas fir has to grow next to the rock face and the the, the ferns have coming out of the, the the brambles. It's all part of what makes a beauty 
that our hands haven't touched. And I don't think we can accept that. I think we have to touch everything in this new world to make it perfect. So for me, mm. I get a lot of feeling of beauty from how can it be less natural? Yeah. Yeah. And it is again that rub, right? Because there's, I think about it in terms of my, the land that I live on here. And it's like, you know, there's per, certain areas that I've cultivated and that I've planted gardens. Now, you know, here I live in the pretty extreme environment. So to keep everything alive and make it all work is not necessarily very easy, right? Just as just as taking care of my body is not always that easy, especially as I'm getting older. You know, there's, I, I joking with someone the day and I said, oh, that's the reason that people retire. They don't have time to do anything else. They're just taking care of their bodies. And that's kind of the truth. Like as you get older, it takes more to actually care for and attend to this body because it's that's just how it is, right? And and so for me, it's like there's this balance point between where, where will I cultivate in myself and where will I let wildness rule? And I think that's the Aphrodite Artemis conversation. And I think that there's, you know, so much beauty in that interface between where the border of the garden is like, oh, she's cultivated this and now it just goes into the wildness of the forest and it's just all like doing its own thing. And they talk to each other and they and they live beside each other and they actually create from each other because there's this concept inside of ecology that I remember learning about. And when I learned about it, 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 it was like, you know, when you have one of those things where you go, oh, that makes sense of everything. And it was talking about how where the shoreline and the ocean meet is the most creative and fertile place mm-hmm. on the where those two elements of earth and water meet. That's where the creativity and the most life forms come into being because it is this interface between two wildly different creatures, earth and water, and their, and their marriage. And I feel like that's the Artemis Aphrodite. It's like where they meet is this creative ingenious gorgeous fractal that is different in every single one of us how it wants to express and that's where I think when I say the Magdalene lives in that that for me is where she lives she lives in this full range full spectrum feminine that we just have not seen on this planet for thousands of years she's a template for us and I think that's why we're so fascinated with her. And I think it's why so many different fractals of her are coming alive. And everybody's got something different to say about her. And it's yeah. to me what's happening out there in the world because she's captured the imagination in a way and it's growing. I see it growing. I feel it growing. So for me, the exploration is to have these conversations with, with you and with other women so that we can kind of, you know, map out a little bit what we're noticing in our own psyches and the psyches of those that we work with around this this alchemical place yeah because we could walk through this completely unconsciously and not be aware of the Aphrodite or the Artemis or the Magdalene or whatever and and miss an understanding of ourselves and what's playing out and where we're in shadow and where we're in light you know in my little cabinet in my living room I have the Hairy Mary figure and I have the the Mary Magdalene in her in her anointing robes, ne- right next to each other. She was well aware that there were times in her lives that she had to be embodied in a certain archetype. 
you know, when she was the Myra for, then when she was that feral woman in the cave where, you know, I, I posted something the other day about you know, a lineage of women. They would spend 21 days in the desert in a cave to reach the deepest magical alchemy inside of themselves. And, and but of course, they can't stay in the cave. They need to come out. So th- there's always just bringing this conscious awareness to actually this is the place I'm in at the moment and this is what's happening for me. And 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 who wants to be the same? You know, I, I always had this really big dreaded fear that I would end up as one of all those women that has the same haircut and the same clothes and the same makeup and wear the same kind of sexy outfits as I did when I was 19. I really had a fear of that because... That fear for me is symbolic when I've gone into it of non-evolution, of non-growth, of of staying the same, of being stuck. We are meant to go through transitions and changes and we're meant to give ceremonies and understand, like you say, perimenopause, menopause. It's It's a transmission, it's a journey, it's a ritual and also a struggle. And it, the struggle should be part of what we, we grow from that process. And that's why my own journey in perimenopause I will never compare with anyone's. I won't read about other people's journey with it because if you go into the cave, into your inner world, and you say, okay, this is what's happening for me and that's okay, and why and what am I trying to transform here and change and shift and refine you wouldn't need to ask anyone for anything, no HRT, no help for this, no help for that, because you would realize that everything that is going on with you is the part of the transition that you're making. And you're trying to make each and everything conscious. Why have I got hot flushes? Why is my memory gone? You don't need to look that up. You can begin to investigate that on your own ground without comparing yourself to other people or other people's journeys. And that's what Magdalene, I don't think there's anyone anywhere that would have any reference to the Magdalene ever comparing herself to another single woman. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's so interesting, isn't it? It's fascinating when I hear you talking about that, because what it makes me think of is, you you know, this uh, yet another, well, this is not just a wound of the feminine, it's a wound of the patriarchy, really, which is that this idea that we need somebody else to tell us what we are and who we are and what's going on for us, rather than having the guidance from somebody who can help us go within and listen. And that's really what you know, when we talk about being spiritual teachers or, you know, feminine mystics, that's the path of the feminine mystic is we're here in our own, um, in our own inner sanctuary, right? Doing the work of like listening. Okay. What is that for me? You know, and, and it's so funny you should say it because, you know, I've been on this, I've spoken about this before in the podcast, but, you know, I've really been on the perimenopausal helter skelter ride for seven years now. And, and I'm like, and, you know, I keep joking and, and laughing because all of my people in my life were done at 50, you know what I mean? And I'm 55 and I'm like, oh my God, I'm still not done. And I have all these jokes in my head. Like I've got one ovary that's still limping across the finish line. She's like, still Like that's my Artemis ovary, you know what I mean? She don't give up. <laughs> a cartoon, you know what I mean? And it's so, and it's been such a humbling process for me of acceptance you see because I am somebody who was 
been gifted with a lot of energy in my life and a lot of vitality. And I'm a generator, I'm a doer, I'm a I'm feisty, I've got a lot of that animus, right? Like that, come on, let's go, let's do. Um, you know, astrologically, Aries is one of the signs that features a lot in my energy field and fire, right? I have a lot of fire. And at perimenopause, I've had to be, it's been super humbling for me to have to. The word that comes is temper, which is a beautiful word because that's an alchemical word. When, we, when we're tempered by the fire, rather than raging the fire, the fire tempers us and it changes us. And there's been something about that softening for me as well as a, as a growth in power. And it's been fascinating. So, But that's only come through me, like you said, Colette, like sitting in my own, you know, self, in my own temple, and having that question of like, okay, archetypally, how are, who's guiding my journey right now, right? Who am I really being called to listen to? And that's what I wanted to say to everyone here is to say, we're talking about Artemis and Aphrodite. And I'd love for you all to just take a moment to ask the question of how she expresses in you. And uh, if you want to come and share that over on my Instagram or wherever, wherever you want to connect with me, but how is she expressing in you? in those two different faces, how do you know her yourself in the light and shadow of Artemis and the light and shadow of Aphrodite? And then what is the middle point? Like what's the marriage? Because that's where the fertile ground is. That's where the, the, you know, in Jungian terms, the sacred marriage or the Heros Garmas comes, right? Of now we get married and a sacred third is created that's neither one or the other, but some alchemical blend. Yeah. No, you know, it's true. And 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 just to fin- add on to the end of that, with regards to Mary Magdalene as well, and I was thinking as you were speaking about it, you know, the inner teacher in her, if you look at the other disciples, not that I'm biased to Mary, I am, but the other disciples, whenever you've read any of those gospels, they are taking the word of Jesus as literal and they're writing it down. And for me, when I read Mary Magdalene's gospel, I really could see that what she did with that, she didn't just believe what he said. She internalized everything he said and she began to take that inward, sit with that. So she put that against her own ideas and her own opinions and then came up with the third. And that's what I really see in her work. I really see that that's probably why he was absolutely smitten by her because she wasn't just sat there like a lap dog, you know, and I say this to all the women that work with me, don't just take what I say literally and write it down and take it as gospel. Go take it away, take it apart, take it internally, work with it. And I believe that's why he fell in love with her. I think he saw that alchemy happening in her when things he was saying to her resonated, some philosophy came through her from it, a new philosophy, a new teaching. And she was alchemizing what he was giving her. So when people say, yeah, she just spread his gospel. No, she absolutely did not. Because that to me is one of the biggest misnomers that undervalues and diminishes who she was because she was a teacher in her own right. She was probably a teacher far before before the point that she met Jesus. She was already on her own path. She was trained in other lineages and traditions. She came, she didn't come to him as a neophyte for him to teach her. She came to him as an equal. And in that she took his word and she embodied it and she made it 
into something that bridged into our humanity. And that is really what I see her teaching as and why we need it so much, right? Which is, she's not the idea. She's the embodiment of the idea in our, like, you know, she's not the concept of love. She is love. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, looking at the, the those gospels again, just the 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 we we talked about Artemis and that whole kind of masculine energy that that me and you both hold, and Artemis, and I believe that you know th- those male gospels, none of them were embodying the feminine energy. We didn't see any hint of feminine energy in any of them, and then there was the Magdalene who had this animus this masculine drive to push through to carry on to be there to go with him to carry on after he'd gone that's masculine energy and then that feminine of love and softness and gentleness and compassion and she she was the as you say the heroes gamos embodied she was showing the two energies working together were I mean I'm, I'd love to be wrong about this what I've read from the, the the male gospels is incredibly obvious masculine energy on its own and no embracing of the feminine within them so I think that's why she was a leader. And that's a, that's a story for us all, isn't it? You know, how are we using those energies within us as well as looking at, you know, archetypes? Because within archetypes, those energies are at play too, the, the feminine and the masculine. Right. Which, you know, and if those words, are, I always say this because for some people, those words are blockages. You know, I also bring it down to pure energetics of electromagnetic. Right. So there is that's the that's the that's the spiral of involution and evolution is electromagnetic. You can't have one without the other. You nope. can't have the light without the dark like you cannot. It is impossible. Whatever you can see, you know that what you can't see in the opposite is behind you or to the side of you. Because that is the law. That's one of the laws of this world. And it's yeah. not what is man-made. It's a law of how this world, Gaia consciousness works. Uh-huh. And, it, and it's a world of polarity and it's a world of difference and contrast. That's what we live in. And we are here to embrace all of that and to meld it. That's what alchemy is all about. That's what alchemy has been with us since the beginning of time. People have been exploring these polarities and noticing happens when we bring them together so I want to kind of demystify that a little bit because I think some part of us like you said makes it really complicated and alchemy is actually not complicated it's a very natural process that as I'm talking to you right now is happening in your body your body is is alchemizing things right now that you are hearing frequency wise from me and Colette it's taking them in and it's working with them and it's activating certain things and it's it's you know that is what alchemy does and it's happening all the time we just are being called to become conscious of it that's the journey to become aware of it and then we can start to actually work with it consciously that's the path of the alchemist hallelujah Bingo, making the unconscious conscious. There we go. (laughs) Three questions for you to end with, Colette, because this is what Red wants us to do over here. Okay, first question. I ask this to everybody who comes on the show, so here we go. What do you avoid but secretly learn to express? My publicly sexuality. Oh, wow. Okay, I, what, how do you want to express it? That you <laughs> so yeah, I often I teach a lot of sacred sexuality, 
And yet I rarely publicly declare, you know, or show my sexuality. I'm a deeply sexual person. And when you really get to know me intimately, you'll see that. But, you know, for your red podcast, I'm just putting it out there, you know, like I am Aphrodite sexual. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, this is an invitation clearly for you to lean into that because that's why she's asking these questions, right? Um, What are you devoted to, darling? To God. Hallelujah. That was easy. And what is the most revealing thing about you that you hide? That I'm a big softie. I know that about you. You don't hide that from me. <laughs> Colette and I have, I have a shared passion for squishy-faced dogs, don't we, darling? We do, we do. <laughs> An obscene, shadowy obsession with flat-faced dogs. <laughs> oh, my God, that's hysterical. That was one of the softest-hearted women that I actually know with a with a huge edge of power and and just I, I just really want to witness that in you I mean we met in, we met in the heart and that was part of how we came together we happened to have both have some pretty strong cancerian energy in our charts and that cancerian energy is that soft energy you know unless she gets pissed off and then she's got a you know got an edge <laughs> Yeah. No, that doesn't come out with a lot of people. You know, most people I know would say she's fierce. She's, but there's certain energies that when when I meet with, can obviously you did you you felt it because I didn't probably need to guard up or put my fierceness on. You know, I love the softness in me, but I I do guard it a lot. So yeah, apart from with you, of course, to get to meet you in that softness, and I think probably people would say the same thing about me. I, the reflection I often, I think this is interesting, right? The reflections that we get, the projections and reflections. But I think, you know, a lot of people in my life have, have said that I they, they perceive me as being kind of aloof and like pulled back and kind of, you know, and I think that's the way in which I have protected that more soft and more um, sensitive part of my nature. So I love meeting you in that sensitivity and that sweetness and kindness that you carry. Um, and, 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 you know, and I'm completely inspired by your fierceness and by, you know, when I, uh, you know, you have to follow Colette and just look at some of her stuff. She's right. She's rad. <laughs> Sometimes I'll get posts from you and I'll be like, Whoa, you know, Whoa, she's on one again. This is the fierceness coming out. It's true. And I used to repress that a lot in my earlier years. So, you know, that's what we've talked about tonight, isn't we, is as women, stop repressing what might challenge other people. Oh, let's highlight that one. Underscore that one. Yeah, it's really about the good girl, bad girl. And yeah. we're neither good nor bad. What would, what would we be? Just bloody naughty. We <laughs> <laughs> should be in here, sweetheart. For all of you who are listening, you can find out about Colette and her amazing work, really amazing work, um, on all the links here below the podcast. And um, I would love to hear from you what inspired you about the conversation. And I'm just so honoured and blessed to get to know you even deeper through this, Colette, and just just to continue our connection. Thanks for coming on, love. Thank you, my dear. Thank you. 
I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As Red women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings. Blessings.